Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm Dan Van. With me today is indie author Justin Mason. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great, Dan. As always, pleasure to be here on the Random Book Club Podcast. Thank you so much for having me tonight. And I can't wait to discuss chapters 20 and 21 tonight for Sword of Bedwear, book one of the Crimson Shadow from R.A. Salvatore. Bob's ramping it up, dude, in these chapters. He is. He's really stepping it up. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, he... he uh, he got me going on these ones because I was like, something's got to happen like now. And that's what happens. Yeah. So let's get right into it. Chapter 20, The Value of a Kiss. About Summary. $21.99 at Walmart. How much? <laughs> $21.99 at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> if you can still go there. Yeah, no shit. Summary. Oliver and Luthien waited for more than an hour, crouching among a tumble of boulders in the rocky foothills just a quarter of a mile outside of Montfort's southern wall, overlooking the narrow trail which led to the mines. River Dancer and Threadbare, glad to be out of the city, grazed in a small meadow not far away. Oliver had explained that the slaver wagon would not leave the city until the tax calls were completed, in case Morkney found some other volunteers who would prefer to work in the mines rather than pay their heavy tithes. So we're just starting off, basically, this this is coming right off of when Luthien's like, if Shuglin's in the mines, then I go to the mines, you know? Yeah, basically. And what this chapter does is a really good writing technique that sets the scene without being too heavy-handed about it. Tells you basically everything you need to know as to why, first of all, the wagon isn't there yet. Why they're still at the why the wagon could still be at the city because they're waiting for all the tax calls to be done, but gives us some nice description they're out there they're waiting they're setting up like a setting up like a trap kind of yeah a little trap or a little ambush maybe or just maybe just a watch group you know maybe watch party to find out when they're coming through and so this sets the scene really nice it sets the pace for the chapter i like this first i like this first bit if it's okay with you uh when you're done sharing your thoughts i'd like to read the next uh, paragraph oh go ahead yes luthien was planning on hitting the slaver wagon at this point but when they finally spotted the wagon on its way to the mines, they saw it was flanked by 20 armed Cyclopeans riding pony pigs. Pony pigs so make re- a return. They do. They make a return. And I really like what they do here because what this does is this, this brings us to the next scene, right? You're thinking, dude, they can just hit the wagon, take out a couple Cyclopeans. We've seen them do it with the merchants before. No problem. Gonna, easy. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an easy job. This shows that what they're doing is getting under the merchant's skin. It's getting under the Cyclopean skin. It's getting under Morkney's skin just a little bit because we see security ramped up here. 20 Cyclopeans on pony pigs? I don't think you need that many for a freaking wagon of slaves. Yeah, in the book it says uh, it was flanked by a score of Cyclopeans, which I believe is 20. I'm pretty sure. Nice. Oliver wanted to leave since the odds were so stacked against them, but Luthien was angry and determined to save Shuglin, the dwarf that had helped the two thieves escape back in Morkney's Square. Luthien grabbed his mount and started in pursuit of the caravan, keeping a safe distance with Oliver and Threadbare. Yeah, so they're basically trailing these guys. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, keeping around the bend, you know. Uh, They obviously cannot, cannot attack because... 20 Cyclopeans is going to overwhelm two guys. Yeah, very easily. Um, so one thing here, right? So let's 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 talk about this for a second. Because we always deep dive, right? 
Oh yeah. So, so, uh, warning to anybody listening, this is not canon. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about if Shuglin doesn't help them in the square. Let's talk if Luthien and Oliver get taken captive. They get how caught. Does the story, how does the story change? Well, Maybe they're in the mines. Well, I don't think so because they send humans. They don't send humans to the mines. And I don't believe they send halflings to the mines either. The dwarves are the ones they send probably because they're prowess with um, being able to handle metals and you know that kind of thing, crafting yeah. and all that. So they would actually be sent down to Avon which we learn later, I think it's in chapter 21. We'll, we'll go over this episode. But, um, but on the same day that Shuglin got like sent to the mines, there was like four other humans with him. And those people got sent to some other camp or some other prison, but it was down in Avon. Okay. So that's where they would so, have gone. So we could see you know, possible branching paths if the story changes. If Shuglin doesn't help them, maybe they end up there in that prison together. Yeah, and that would be cool, kind of, because then now you're southern and you're closer to Gascony, so maybe you can introduce some of like different Oliver's characters homies. from Gascony or something like that. Nice. Some nice, of the old nice. homies. I like that from like Oliver's that. old homestead. Cool. Let's continue. Oliver kept saying, "This is not so so smart a thing." Many times on their way, after three miles or so, Oliver stopped to sniff the air, then abruptly hid in the bushes nearby. And Luthien found a different hiding place uh, because he he didn't go exactly where um, Oliver went because Oliver was small and kind of got into a, a spot real quick and just kind of <laughs> left Luthien's like, okay, go ahead, dude. Find a spot. See ya. <laughs> so uh, he found a different hiding place that was uh, just as the 20 pony pig riding Cyclopeans galled past. Now with the guards gone, the pair made their way to the mine entrance and started discussing strategy. You have I something like to say. I do. I here's the thing, man. Like I could say this literally after every point we have to make. I have this was probably my favorite chapter of the book. I keep saying that, and he just keeps up in the ante, right? Like this for me was a fun chapter to read. Cause I'm like, oh, here come these cyclopians. Well, well, what's he gonna do? How are we gonna get these cyclopians out of here? They're not gonna fight all these guys, are they? And then, oh, here, they're going back to the city. Well. Now you know what they're doing. They're going to the mines. The pacing here is genius. Very well written, intriguing, keeps my attention. And as a fellow writer, I I'm taking some notes. What I like about <laughs> what I like about this is it it felt like again, we say this a bunch of times throughout the book, but this really felt like a D&D campaign where it's it like, does. okay, you you have to go save two dwarves that are in the mines. And there's a slaving wagon, so or they're going to the mine. So you can try to, you can try to get them out as soon as you can. But then as soon as you see the twenty cyclopians in D and D, you would just fight them, you know. But in and this, probably die. And probably die in this book, that he's going a different route. So it's like if you are a D and D fan, this is a cool way to kind of know. Or I mean, I don't know if your dungeon master would make fights that are potentially unwinnable like this, but different routes of going rather than just fighting everything. And so this is kind of showing their like thievery side, their stealthy side where they are smart yeah. too. They, I mean, they're really good in battle, but not against 20 people. So here's the uh, explanation of the entrance of the mine. The mine entrance was little more than an unremarkable hole in the side of a mountain. Its sides propped with heavy timbers. 
The friends tethered their horses far to the side of the trail and crept to, to a vantage point behind some brush. They saw no Cyclopeans milling about, saw no movement at all. Luthia noted that the mine wasn't well guarded, and Oliver wasn't surprised at all. The halfling pointed out a second entrance into the mine that suspected could be a barracks or a holding area for prisoners before they take them down into the main entrance. Oliver reasoned that if Shuglin was there, they would eventually have to take him through the main entrance. So the pair made their way to the wall just outside the main entrance, and Luthien put the hood up of this crimson cloak for a little stealth. Making their way into the dark mine, Luthien had to wait a minute for his eyes to adjust to the darkness. They continued further, making their way around a bend where they saw a side passage that could have led to the other entrance. Then they saw a flickering of a torch and heard footsteps of Cyclopeans. Their pair made their way into a side passage and watched closely as Luthien readied his bow. The Cyclopeans then noticed the intruders and leapt in surprise as Luthien let loose an arrow, but he missed. This is the first time in this book, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time that Luthien misses and it's noted. How could you miss with that magic bow? Yeah. Like, and then he explained in the book that, like, the Cyclopean was so scared, surprised by seeing these two guys, that he, like, jumped up. And as he jumped, his arm went like this, and the arrow went underneath his armpit and, yeah. like, nicked him, but it didn't injure him. So it's like – and they made a note of it. So it's like, what what is going on? Why is that a significant thing? I guess yeah, I, I – I, 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 there's no payoff for it, I don't think. Like, I don't think they explain why it is – why he missed. The fight was on. Oliver whipped out his rapier and main gosh and started taking out the one eyes. They dispatched the brutes quickly, and then Oliver put out the torch and asked Luthien how he could have missed. They made their way deeper into the mine with more urgency now. They saw an opening at the end of the passage just ahead. The tunnel ended at a, at a ledge 40 feet above the floor of a large, roughly oval chamber. Five Cyclopeans were in here. Uh, to the friend's relief, the two dwarves, including the one with a bushy blue-black beard and a sleeveless leather tunic, which is Shuggy. Both were shackled at the wrists and ankles, surrounded by Cyclopeans by their Cyclopean captors. The group stood near the opposite end of the chamber, in front of a large hole cut into the floor. Suspended above the hole was a block and tackle, with one thick rope going to a crank mechanism on the chamber's floor, at the side of the hole and two other ropes disappearing beneath the floor. I put that in there because I wanted to get a scene of this chamber. So there's this big wide chamber. They're up on a, like a ledge, 40 feet above the chamber, looking down into it front. So when they look down in the middle of the chamber, there's a hole in on the floor and there's a platform there that's being supported by a block and tackle system, just some ropes and pulleys. And basically the, the idea that you have in your head is this is how they get into the mines, the mine shaft. And so, uh, you know, reading it on the first, you know, on the first time was a little confusing because it's like, and there's a rope and it goes to this and there's two ropes dangling down. And you're like, if, if you didn't know that it was a platform, you kind of just have to pass through until you get to the next part. I was actually going to say, I couldn't quite see this as well as I wanted, but there were, it was hit and miss for me. Yeah. Oliver then stops Luthien from engaging in another fight so soon, pointing out two other entrances in this chamber, suggesting that they don't know how many opponents could be on their way as they hid. Luthien knew that the crank 
was supporting a platform that could be lowered down in the depths of the mine. And if they could save Shuglin before the platform, if they couldn't save Shuglin before the platform was lowered, then they would lose the dwarf forever. The time to save the prisoners was now. I'm smiling because I see the next line. Go ahead. Luthien rolls a nat 20. <laughs> he did. He, he did. It kills that cyclopean <laughs> in the back, Nick. It kills a cyclopean with an arrow to the back uh, as he initiates the battle. Oliver and Luthien rolls a nat 20. <laughs> <laughs> he did. I was hoping I was just going to read it all deadpan and, and just see if you caught on. But since you're reading it, oh, yeah, that's great. Trust me, I would have caught on. Uh, Oliver and Luthien swing down to the chamber like Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Trims in her purple capes billowing behind him in a heroic entrance to the battle. So, okay. It was a sweet scene. It was a, it sweet, was a sweet scene. Thing. And do you know why I like this so much? Because even though Luthien isn't as vocal about it, he is now becoming just a little bit more flamboyant like Oliver. Mm-hmm. They flow down together, capes billowing, both their capes, ass, both their capes, kicking ass, taking names. This felt good. I was kind of surprised that Luthien did this because Oliver did point out the two other entrances inside that chamber, being like, "Yo, bro, there could be any number of guards coming down this way." But he well, was like, "Man, the we got to get Shuggy. The reward is here too. We got to get Shuglin on." Now again. I imagined that the five Cyclopians that are down there with the two dwarf prisoners were actually sitting on the platform or standing on the platform, just waiting to go down. That's what I imagined because then it, it made it more, um, there was more pressure in the scene. He didn't actually write that in there. Bob didn't. Um, I wish he would have, because then it would have given Luthien a reason to go down there right then. I don't, if he, if they're just standing on the side, kind of waiting for orders or something, there's no reason why he would have to swing down at that moment. But when he does it, it goes, and it's really cool. I have to ask a question here, and you'll see why coming up in a second. Is Luthien having a string of bad luck? Mm. Not, not, not necessarily because I think he's going to get killed or anything, but is Luthien having a string of bad luck? And here's why. They start fighting, and Luthien immediately bashes himself into Shin painfully, and Oliver, facing, and Oliver faces off against the largest Cyclopean in the room. Now, Oliver is staying in extreme character here because he always fights the biggest guy no matter what. Yep. That's just who he is. But Luthien, he missed with the bow. Yep. And he smashed himself in the shin. Two trip-ups within maybe a page, two pages of each other. Maybe it's totally unrelated, but there could be a little bad luck going on here. It could be a little... Hey, that's a good point. I didn't scenes. think about that. Maybe, you know canon universe maybe the the crimson shadow cape the reason why there isn't the crimson shadow the reason why the old crimson shadow doesn't still have the cape is maybe the more you use it the more bad luck you get or something where it just slowly but surely it kind of eats into your brain also he's been very distracted lately he's got a new yes. girlfriend he does she look bomb. at how that's affecting him <clears throat> look at how that's affecting him though seriously I'm not saying that Luthien is – I'm not saying that Luthien's lazy or stupid or losing his touch. But I, I made note of this when I was reading. And here's the thing. As a reader, if I notice it, I know an astute reader is noticing it because yeah. I'm not necessarily the best at picking out little details. 
But I did make a mental note of this and say, he's been having some bad luck. He missed with his bow. Smokes his shin. Smokes his shin. (laughs) Just painful. Those are painful. You know, anyone who's played soccer and even if you Mm -hmm. get hit with, you have shin guards, it hurts. That's why they have shin guards. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I was just thinking about that, though. I, I, I think um, I think Luthien's having a string of bad luck here. Let's read on. Let's continue. Let's find out. Their attacks were being hand, uh, handled evenly, and they began to tire. At this point, the two dwarves slam into Cyclopeans and from behind in a surprise attack, giving the pair the openings they need. So I was wondering when this was going to come up. I was wondering when the dwarves were going to tag in for a couple chair shots. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Drop an elbow on them from the rope or something, you know? Yeah, I imagine that they had their chains. They were chained together by their ankles and their arms, and they just ran and freaking clotheslined one of them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like they did in Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't remember Uh, that scene like like elizabeth and oh, right. did in pirates of the caribbean where they where they grab the chains and they smash the guys with them i i'm sorry i i'm a nerd um yeah nobody watches pirates of the caribbean dude yeah, who watches who watches that anyway shall i continue yes oliver uses his rapier to snatch the key ring from the cyclopean he was facing off with and flicks the keys to luthien who then frees the two dwarves from their shackles now that part was very he, dramatic because uh in the book, Oliver perfectly gets his rapier in there and then flicks the keys, and it's like the keys flew across the room so into Luthien Bedwear's hands. Right, right. So first of all, a couple things to note. Here is Oliver continuing to be Oliver, right? Good luck, high dexterity. But he's just a halfling. He is just a halfling, but he's succeeding in all of his checks and rolls. Everything's yes. going his way. Got the keys. I hope you catch him. I hope you I hope you get your dexterity check, bro. Yep. And Luthien has the cape off. No more bad luck. Catches the oh. keys. And to his luck, to his fortune, it's even mentioned on the second key, he gets the lock. Yeah. That's weird. I didn't pick they, up on that at all. They said I was stupid. Yeah, they still say it, though. What's up with that? I don't know. <laughs> I think they were referring to me. Um, so, help freeze them from their shackles. Oliver then repositions himself in front of a large rope that held the platform aloft, just as the one-eye with an axe took a massive swing for the halfling. Oliver ducks out of the way. The axe blow severs the supporting rope, which whipped towards the block and tackle, following the platform, pummeling into the depths of the yep. mine. Yeah, so it was just like... Uh, the the big cyclopean, the big guy with the big axe comes in and is like, I'm going to kill you. Sl- swings this massive axe at Oliver and he just goes, whoosh, ducks. And then, boom, the string or the rope that's supporting the whole platform gets cut. And then you just see it. It's like going back into the block and tackle as the whole thing just goes down. It was a, it was a really well-written scene because you could, in this situation, I was like, I was in it, you know, it was like really fun to watch or read. You know what I mean? Or in your case, if you're imagining yourself as Luthien, be a part of. Yeah. So then more Cyclopeans begin to race into the chamber from all the side passages. It looked bad for Luthien, Oliver, and the two dwarves now facing off against a small horde of angry Cyclopeans. That is until the sound of many bowstrings twanging, followed by many arrows thumping into the charging one-eyes, dropping them one by one. 
What did you think about this sudden change of fate? I loved it. I, I was like, how are they getting out of here? And then Luthien draws his bow. More proof. Cloaks off. Knocks an arrow. Thunk. Kills a guy. Right? Am I right? Yep. Am I right? Got some good luck. Well, well, here, this is, the situation was they had just dispatched the five Cyclopians that were in the room, uh, messed the platform up so that as long as everyone's on this level, they're not going to go into the mine unless they're pushed down there. But that's when the 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 call goes out. Basically, like the 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 sounds of battle echoed through the entire cha- the whole chamber, and then through all the little side passages. Probably the two that they had mentioned. And so now all the guards are coming out, and there's a lot of them. You know, we could imagine probably a score of them. And it actually gets to a point where in the book he he mentions that they're facing off one another, just like they're they're the two parties are looking at each other. Luthien and Oliver are tired. Luthien's got a messed up shin. The two dwarves have been treated like shit since they've been in uh, Morkney's um, uh, chambers or whatever. But now they're finally free, so they're going to go out with a bang if they can. And they're just looking at it like they're going to die. They're like, I don't think we can beat this one. And then all of a sudden you start hearing twang, 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 all these bows coming from around the corner. I'm like, yes, the elves are here, dude. It was really I cool. It. I knew it. I didn't know that's what was going to happen. I thought, I thought for a second we might get some interference from Brenda Moore. I thought. So, um, let's see where are we at. Okay, the four looked to the ledge in surprise as a shout from Shaban urged them to run on, run towards the ledge, and so they did. The four made it to the base of the forty-foot ledge as the cutters were lowering ropes down to them. It was such an action-packed scene. It they, was. They climbed up as arrows and spears slammed into the wall uh, they were ascending. Once they made it to the top, they continued their flight out of the packet, a passage with arrows whipping by. Didn't one of the dwarves get shot in the shoulder? I don't remember. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. I think I think I remember him taking, a, taking an arrow in the meat of the shoulder or something. He just kept climbing, like, whatever. Yeah, he Luthien does mention in, in there, like from his thoughts, he was really surprised how quickly those dwarves were climbing up those ropes. Yeah, and how he himself was struggling with it a little bit. Yeah, and I but like that because just, it, you know, yeah. we don't get to see a whole lot of dwarf action besides right. one good solid swing with a uh, craftsman hammer to the face of a cyclopean. So now we get to see, you know, we see what elves can do. They're stealthy, um, they're swift. They can whip uh, a sword out at your neck in like a half a second. But what do dwarves do? Well, they're strong. That is one thing that um, they're showing here. They're, they can just, really. they can climb those ropes like nobody's business. So that was pretty and cool. To be, and to be fair, in games like D&D, Pathfinder, etc., dwarves are traditionally uh, higher HP and higher, uh, higher constitution as well. So uh, the chapter ends like this. Luthien gets a quick kiss from Shaban as they part ways at the exit of the mine. Luthien and Oliver flee quickly on their mounts. Behind them, the enraged howls of the Cyclopians at the mine entrance. Loved it. No! I'll tell you one thing I didn't like. Mm-hmm. I don't want to risk, I don't want to risk sounding like a total wad here. The, the quick Blow kiss. your wad, dude. The, a quick kiss felt kind of forced felt kind of like we gotta throw last. it in there yeah it's fine it's Shaban's fine but here. That's the, yeah yeah i know but that's the last thing people being shot at and having spears sewn at would be doing regardless 
I'll tell you what I think. You ain't gonna like it. Shabon's a plane. I'll tell you what I think. She's leading him in a direction. Hmm. Now I don't know if it's true. Like to join the cutters or what? Just leading him in a direction. I don't know what direction that is, but I think she's trying to keep Luthien on a string. That's why it's mentioned. I'm I'm hopefully wrong. I want there to be something here. I want this to be something good that continues throughout the story. I think they threw it in because it's just like classic fantasy. You know, the the hot archer chick and the warrior guy, they get out, they make an escape, and they say, well, we got to go our separate ways. Our horses are over here. Well, we're, we've got, you know, the cutters and I are going this way. So, smooch, see ya. We'll see you back at the town. I'll tell you a scene I'm reminded of, and that's why I think you're right. Star Wars. The I don't remember which episode it was, but it's when the ones that are focusing on Anakin, when he rescues his woman in like the in the arena, in the yep. big coliseum in the arena where they got the big creatures and shit, and he takes over the one cart. He goes and rescues her. She gets in the cart with him. First thing she does is kiss him on the cheek. Uh, that was Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Whatever, I don't care. But my point is, the point I'm making is, that's what I was reminding of. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, I just saved you. You're here. And it's it's public. It's a public display of their affection that maybe we haven't quite seen yet between those two. Right. Yep. So Siobhan is now publicly displaying her affection for Luthien before they split. Yeah. But publicly in front of the Cutters and Oliver and the two dwarves. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was just making it's something. It's something. You think George Lucas reads uh, R.A. Salvatore books? I don't know. I think him and Bob are buddies. They might they be. Write books together. Do you think? Do you think that George Lucas was there watching the game with Bob when he wrote this in an afternoon, drinking some cold ones with the guys? That's my question for Bob this week. You hang with George <laughs> Lucas? Have you been to Skywalker Ranch? All right. That leads us. That that's the end of uh, chapter twenty, which was called the the value of a kiss. Right. Which apparently now that makes sense. Now they kissed. Or what's the value? I mean, what is the value of a kiss? Life, apparently. Because I think those guys were screwed if those elves didn't show up. Oh, yes. Okay, I see what you're saying. They ended up getting together. They kissed behind the dwarf. And Shaban basically is like, you know what? We're together now. So I'm going to watch your movements and just make sure you, you Gucci. What? Damn it. I have to I have to modify my thoughts here. Yeah. Think about this. Okay, deep dive? Deep in. All right, warning. Into the mines. Non-cannon deep dive. Non-cannon uh, deep let's dive. stand on the platform before we cut it, the rope with the axe, and let's go deep, dude. All right, cut the rope, and here we go. Plummeting. What if Luthien listens to Oliver and never, uh, what's that called? Gets with the slave girl never, or get, cares never, about... Never never chases after Shaban. Maybe he goes to find her, to free her. They have a little showdown, you know. Goes behind the dwarf with her, meets her. What if he doesn't kiss her? What if he's not interested? What if that never happens? What if he and likes just, men? Yeah, it doesn't matter. What if, it's, what if they're just general acquaintances? I bet you Shaban and the Cutters don't show up. Hmm. Yeah, because why would they show up again? I mean, the reason why they show up is because it's the end of the book. We got to have some action, right? But 
in all other circumstances, even when we, even when he was behind the dwarf and and she's like, hey, that the dwarf Shuglin is going on trial. We were both like, why do you care and why do you know that? Yeah. Well, like, why do you care is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like, okay, so it would make sense that she could have knowledge of this. That's fine. She's part of the Cutters inside group. But why is she making it such an effort to Luthien to help him? What has Luthien done to get her to do that? Maybe there's some affection from her, which is why she shows up with the Cutters. Because think about that. If Luthien doesn't... Pers- doesn't um doesn't chase after that doesn't go after her and he just says now nah, i'm here to do my job i want to know about struggling tell me what's up well he's going to be here good luck he yep. goes doesn't kiss her doesn't have that intimacy with her none of that doesn't have any more interactions with her i think this book i think this book changes completely i i i agree with you on the part where if they're just um acquaintances or basically you know like you know like different competing corporations in this case of the underground, you know, the thieving band versus just kind of a, yeah. a rogue ish character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you that it does change the way they interact with one another, but you know what? I think they still show up right here. And this is why she didn't just show up herself. If she had showed up herself, that would mean that she's only showing up for the love of Luthien. She showed up with the cutters, at least like four or five of them at least. Okay. You can't, I can't go to you and say, hey, man, I'm really into this one chick and I kind of want to go like protect her. Will you come with me? It's like, dude, no, we have like other things going on that are bigger deals than this. So I'm thinking big picture here. I'm thinking uh, once they meet each other, it's revealed that Luthien is the Crimson Shadow. They all say, including that one tall elf say, oh, we know of your work. We've heard of you. And... That's significant because from what we get from the information that um, they give to Luthien Oliver, tall guy in the market when Oliver and Luthien are eating biscuits on the last day before they go get some like coats and stuff, he's like, yo, dude, uh, you need to go meet up. We like, Why would he tell them to meet up with uh, Shaban if it wasn't something the Cutters wanted them to do? And the reason why I say Shaban's this- Shaban's calling the shots. I don't know if Shaban's calling the shots, but what I think is they see there's an uprising in Montford and they want to help the uprising go. They see it going in their favor and they want to see the, you know, even though they, they steal and stuff like that, they want to see the people rise up again. And part of that is going to be some real show of, of, uh, what would you say? An example of why seeing the Crimson Shadow is good. Because right now, as of this moment, the merchants are all complaining about how this, the Crimson Shadow's taken everything from them. The locals that know are cool with it, but everyone else might just be scared. When they come back saving two dwarves and it becomes the word spreads, they're like, oh, Crimson Shadow's good. So I think the cutters see this as like a, a move to to make an uprising start. You know what I'm saying? Fair. Chapter 21. Unwanted Attention. Summary. This chapter starts off with Luthien casually making his way uh, into the Dwelf, arriving separately from Oliver, who was already there. The narrator clues us in that the pair had been laying low for the past couple of weeks since the escape from the mine. So a couple weeks have gone by. Now we get to see, you know, what the uh, repercussions of this is. 
The Dwarf was full of patrons, including a group of Cyclopean guards who sat menacingly in the corner. Luthien saunters his way over to the bar and greets Oliver as if seeing him for the first time in a month. Oliver gives him a skeptical look as Tasman, walking past, remarks dryly that they were both in the bar two nights ago. <laughs> it's, another, it's another example of Luthien trying to play a part that he's not, he's not good play. at it, dude. He's not. He's not. And what he, I, I imagine this is being like, hey, dad, I haven't seen you in so yep. long, man. And, and then like, then like my mom would just like, be like, he was just over the other night, dude. Dude, Taz, ratting him out. Tazzy. Yeah. I love Tasman, dude. It was situational humor, and it was well done. It was a really good break into the next chapter. What a great opening into a chapter. Bob does this really well. Each one starts with a scene that gets you into a mood for the rest of the chapter. There's a little bit of danger, but it's not. It's kind of like um, there's like a feeling of danger underneath because it's been two weeks, so we've got some decompression there. But he's still being careful, and as he's being careful, let's throw in a little joke here. Oliver's just, is, like, tired of it, you know? Is this uh, the first time that we are mentioned that the two go into the Dwarf separately? Not when not when Luthien goes and meets with Shaban. I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. Because Oliver and him are both already there. What I mean is, is this the first meshing we get of them actually actively yes. entering separately? Yes. That's something I made note of, too. Yep. Because they're on, so people, of it. they're onto them, you know that that it's probably a halfling and a human duo yeah. that are behind all this, and we learn that that is exactly what they know as far as information, as we get later on here. Yeah. So, sure. um, Luthien settles in, noting that the tavern was packed tonight. Taz tells him it's because of all the good gossip, and sends a beer down the counter to the young man. Oliver sipped at it. Yep. A beer that he didn't pay for. That's right. And then he's like, is it Taz because knows. we rent a room from Taz or what's the deal? Taz knows. Taz, Taz knows. Because he knows Oliver, dude, so it makes sense. But it's even mentioned in the book that Luthien introspects like, does Taz know? Is this like a – he kind of gave him like a knowing yep. wry look, right? Like a – If I'm a barkeep in the seedy side of Montfort, I'm hearing all the gossip. And I'm hearing it the moment it comes out. So if I hear, oh, there's some dwarves that just came back. They were broken out of the mines. And then all of a sudden, Luthien and, and Oliver come walking in wanting a beer. And they're a little dusty. And they come in separately? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We know it's up. about it, bro. Dude, Taz works for the Cutters. All right. Taz is a cutter, dude. Are we going? Are we going deep dive on this, or are we going no, just just uh, just, uh, like just for funsies? Feet, okay. Taz is a cutter. Uh, you want to read the next part? Yeah. Um, Oliver is at it's at the part where Luthien settles in and gets a yeah, beer. Yeah, yeah. Oliver sipped at his ale, annoyed the situation and the gossip he's been overhearing lately. People in Montfort have been impersonating the Crimson Shadow and causing issues for the merchants. So as soon as I read this part, I was like, someone's gonna die. Before it's even mentioned, before we even get to that, I'm like, somebody's dying because you always get that. Whenever you have the impersonator killer or the impersonator hero, that person gets killed. Period. That's just what happens. Um, Luthien said that he was meeting up with the Cutters again tonight. Oliver knew there was BS, and it was actually another late-night meeting with Siobhan. He gave Luthien some crap about it, but ultimately was happy for him to have found, and I quote, love. 
I like this because it shows our interplay between Luthien and Oliver. They're no longer strangers to each other. I think at this point that they are, or what we would consider to be friends. Best friends. They're bros. It's like Oliver's They're roommates. Found, yeah, like Oliver's found that someone that he can trust and rely on. He's going to give him some shit for yep. it, but he wants Luthien to be happy. He wants him to find that good thing. And he feels like, yeah, I'm going to tease you about it, but go get her, bro. Yeah, he's like, I need to go see the Cutters tonight. And um, Oliver's like, oh, yeah, I don't think you need to see the Cutters. I think we're, we're good. He's like, well, I want to make sure that everything with the dwarves are good. Ah, the dwarves are fine. I just heard about it from uh, Steve over here. Steve said he's good. Taz, that's right. Taz is like, yes, Steve said they're good. Why do you need to go you see, see the Cutters? You're going to see uh, And Luthien's like, I just want to go to the – I got to check in. And he's like, all right, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Now, we do a scene cut. Mm-hmm. Classic this is bot. great. We do a couple scene cuts in this chapter, and we, we get do. to see in the mind of Morkney. Yeah, this is cool. Like, mind of Mencia, but it's mind of Morkney. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, he's in his private chambers where the merchants are demanding a discussion about the breakout of the mines and that everyone in Montfort was taking about, talking about it, and there was an uprising from the Crimson Shadow wannabes. We have a quote from the book. They're painting red shadows all over my store, one man grumbled. And mine, too, others said at the same time. Or, and mine, two others said at the same time. And nearly every street in Montfort bears the words, The shadow lives, offered another. Dan, I believe you have something cool to show. The shadow lives, my friend. The shadow lives. I mean, I, I was so inspired by that for some reason that I was like, I need to do a Google search of some like cloak thing. Then I need yeah. to put it into Photoshop, make it look like it was painted. <laughs> and then I need to write the shadow lives in paint writing because this should be a t-shirt, dude. The shadow <laughs> lives, my friend. Crimson shadow Channel. lives, though. I Channel loved right it. There. I freaking yeah. loved it, dude. It's cool. It was, was cool. I could it, tell you were excited when you sent it to me. It was so cool because it's just like, I, I just like the impact that they're having. It's two weeks after the mind break. And this is what I was talking about before where I was going along with you until I was thinking of the big picture. The cutters want to help the shadow because it takes the heat off of them while still getting the things they want to get done, done. Then, then it begs the question, do you think Luthien's being used? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Shaban's an elf, half elf or an elf, a full elf. I don't know. They live a long time. Luthien is a baby to Shaban. This is just a, hey, Shaban. So, yeah, I know Luthien's hot, and I know you gave him the fluttery eyes and all that, but uh, <laughs> um, you know we're cutters, right? You know we do business, right? Um, you need to make sure you keep him on a leash, a short one, and that you basically make sure he's doing the things we want to do. Will you try to invite him? He said no because of that little halfling guy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you need to keep him on a leash. I think that's what's going on. I mean, I, I maybe they really have feelings for each other. That's wonderful. But in reality, dude, they're the cutters, dog. And you know what? Yeah. The sh but you know what they don't have? They don't have the crimson cape completely, dude, because the shadow lives. If Luthien were to just hang the cape right now, the shadow still lives on, my man. Moving on from that, just wanted to share that. 
Mortney understood the merchant's problem, but was more concerned with the danger he could come under with others talking about the mantle of the Crimson Shadow. After an hour, the meeting ended with Morgney promising to take care of things, but he was worried about King Greensparrow's notice of their mining production still being down, and the local steers predicted that this winter would be a cold one. Again, we're going back to always a bigger fish. Morgney, or merchants? Morgney, Greensparrow. Mm-hmm. Merchants bitch at Morgney. Morgney gets bitched at by Greensparrow. Morgney bitches at merchants. Mm-hmm. And Morgney, he's got bigger things to worry about, but it's like all he He might be losing about. favor with Greensparrow right now. Yeah. You know, because this is the second time in a row where Greensparrow's like, uh, Morkney, get your mining shit in order. I don't care if two dwarves were broken out of the mines. I don't care if your platform plummeted. Build a new one. I sent you tons of Cyclopeans. Make it happen. And Morkney's just like, uh, don't want to mention the Crimson Shadow yet to you because I'm going to try to handle it, get this cloak, and then make myself more powerful or whatever his plan is. But uh, it's quickly becoming we got to hammer something down now. Very true. Very true. The next. Oh, can I read breakfast? this next part? Sure, you got it, man. Okay. The next morning at breakfast, Morkney was choking down some leek soup when one of the, his Praetorian guards arrived with some relieving news. Um, I don't know if he was eating leek soup. I added that because I was going to say, I don't remember that being mentioned. And I said he's choking it down because remember in the beginning, all of Bedrogen, their, their main staple is leek soup. But like, um, oh, what was the name of those guys that came by? The the cousins of Morkney? Ev- Evaness and yeah. what's, what's her nuts? And, yeah. <laughs> the and they're just like, ew, like. leek soup again. So uh, he's choking it down. I just think that's funny. Um, Good addition, Dan. There had been a wagon caravan on its way to Avon, carrying the four other humans that had been sentenced on the same day as Shugwin. That had been attacked on on the road. So basically what they established here, which was really minor, and it took me, this is the second time I've read this, uh, till now to understand it. There's some really minor things that show up in here that if you're not paying attention, you'll miss completely. And makes things not make sense, but you're at this point. You're there's already been a couple of those things, so you just go with it. But it is actually pretty good that he adds it um, on on a reread here. So basically, uh, this guard comes in to Morkney while he's eating and just says, "Hey, there was a caravan. You know that caravan that you had the sentenced prisoners, the human prisoners that were going to Avon. So now we've established that is that's where the humans go. Uh, that was hit on the road." And so he said, and so this is from the book. The captain of the guard produced a tattered red cloak, its material taking on a darker hue of dried blood in many places. We got the bloke, the Cyclopean said. No more crimson shadow. And we got the halfling twas said to be traveling in the shadow's shadow. So they know, so this tells us that they knew that it was a human and a halfling. And they're and this guy's claiming we just killed him. So there was a hit on on a prisoner caravan, and it was from the Crimson Shadow. Here's his bloody cloak, dog. No more Crimson Shadow. But as we know, as we know, the shadow lives, my man. And Morkney is crafty. Morkney is crafty, but he's happy about this. He's happy about this news. So Morkney promised the guard and his men that they would get a reward and finished his breakfast in a better mood. 
A few hours later, though, the old wizard had a nagging feeling about the cloak. He brought, uh, he brought the cloak into his private study and searched the shelves for a particular tome which held the incant incantations and ingredients to detect magical works. Do you want to read the next part? Yeah. The duke sprinkled exotic herbs and powders over the tattered cloth and read the enchantment from his book. The components eerily glowed a silvery blue hue and then went dark. Morphy waited quietly for another minute, then another. Nothing happened. The blessing cloak was not magical, and it had never been enchanted. This wasn't the Crimson Shadow. I loved this incorporation of fantasy magic. Yes. This was freaking sweet. Because we and really don't first, get a whole lot of it, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's one of our first, like, uh, first examples of divination and enchantment. This was really neat. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I loved it. Yep. Morgan realized that this, like the paintings on the wall, were not the work of the real Crimson Shadow, but imposters. He settled back in his chair, chin in his hands, starting to move the Crimson Shadow up a few notches on his to-do list. Yeah, he just basically, about, in the book, it just says that he sat back in his big, tall chair, put his chin on, or put his hand on his chin, and was thinking about how dangerous the Crimson Shadow was becoming or something, or like... Yeah, yeah. And so... It's like, yeah, dude. He's like, all right, it's time to start handling some stuff. We're back in the Dwarf, Dan. Why don't you continue? Let's cut to the Dwarf, where everybody knows your name. Then we're back in the Dwarf. Everyone in the pub was subdued at the news that the known local duo of human and halfling kind had been killed out on the road east of Montfort. While Taz was refilling Oliver and Luthien's mugs with ale, he told them the news that the Crimson Shadow was dead but had a knowing look that lingered on Luthien as he moved away to help another patron. It's like, hey, you heard about how Crimson Shadow's dead, right? And he just kind of... <laughs> he just keeps staring at him like a freaking <laughs> weirdo. He's like, hey, did you, hear, did you hear about Tommy? You heard about him, right? Porn, porn another one. Little, nice tall one. <laughs> it's like sloshing all over the place. You know, the foam's coming off the sides. He just keeps looking at Luthien. <laughs> yeah. He, Taz knows. He knows. Taz knows. Oliver said it's a pity to hear about the deaths, but didn't actually seem to be too bothered by the news. Luthien challenges him on his laissez-faire reaction, but the halfling simply states that, the thieves, that thieves are killed every day in Montfort and that they have to consider the benefits. Luthien was not pleased but understood. He struggled with this. You can tell it's even noted in the book that Luthien didn't do well with that, you know benefits to people dying yeah the benefits are well we got a little heat off our tail i mean there might be still some people that think we're around but i mean that looks pretty good it's a human and a halfling there was a red cloak some guard and his homies just went on vacation <laughs> they they got rewarded man the pair left as they saw a group of praetorian guards enter the tavern the narrator then explains to the reader that soon after Oliver and Luthien had left the bar, a fight had broken out in the Dwarf that left several people injured and some killed. Tensions were rising in the city of Montfort. Yeah, I thought that was good. It was a scene that Oliver and Luthien weren't a part of, uh, didn't have any knowledge of. I'm sure they heard about it the next day, but they didn't stick around because the Praetorian guards were patrolling more. And when they left, you know... Even though the, the mood in the tavern was somber, those people were pissed that two of the local guys got killed. And they know it was the, that it was Praetorian guards who did it. So 
when a fight broke out, hey, Praetorian guards are Praetorian guards, and tavern people are tavern people. People got killed. People got hurt. So it's getting a little bit out of control. Uh, do you want to read the last two paragraphs? I'd be happy to. <clears throat> then we cut back to Duke Morkney late at night because that's when the magical energies were at their prime. I like the mention of this. It just gives you a little bit more flavor about the world. Mm-hmm. Morkney pushes a large hanging tapestry aside to reveal a golden-edged mirror. He casts a spell on the mirror to locate the crimson shadow. At least, you know, the person who's wearing it or has it. Mm-hmm. But as he felt himself drawing closer, suddenly a wall of red blocked his view into the mirror. He tried again and again, but couldn't break through the concealing barrier. He went back to his desk to do more research in the Crimson Shadow from several books he had found on the subject. We learned Morkney's studies that the Crimson Shadow had terrorized the Gaskins during their occupation of Avon, and that the cloak itself protected against magical, prying eyes. He was not too upset he couldn't find the location of it, as he thought he began to develop plans to locate someone else who might lead him in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You may not be able to find the shadow, but I bet you can find somebody close to the shadow. Yes. <sighs> so. I knew it. I knew it was going that direction. How does he know that Shaban is with the Crimson Shadow? Like, how does he know? I don't think he knows that. I don't know if he knows that. I've only read that chapter. Well, he's looking for a tear. It says he's looking for a tear in the Crimson Shadows. I don't know what Veil you call of it. mystery. Veil yeah. of mystery defenses. So he's looking for So who is he going to use? You know what He's I mean? looking for a chink in the armor, as yep. you say, a weak point. So what's Luthien's oh. only weak point? It's not Oliver. It's I was going to say, it's either, it's either Oliver or Shaban, one of the two. Yeah, so... It's like, how would they put that together? You know, how are they going to put that together? Or how, I guess I don't know how that's going to tie. Anyway, um, we have some special people in this one. Two very special people. Two very special locals that we're, we're pouring one out for. We're pouring one out for tonight. Everybody get your glasses up for Stumpy Corset Buster and Dirty Abner. <laughs> Fucking porn I stars. love those names. <laughs> I actually made a point to read those to my brother. And it was hilarious. so hard not to include it in the summary, but I, I was just, it, those were just great names of like thrown in a little bit of humor in this like kind of somber feeling uh, part of the chapter. Stumpy Corset Buster and Dirty <laughs> Abner, the unlucky halfling and human duel that were killed on the road while impersonating the Crimson Shadow. You idiots. <laughs> Do you think Stumpy Corset Buster gave her a dirty abner? <laughs> oh my god. Corset Buster is such a good name. It you know, is. you think of like cool fantasy names, you got like Gut Buster Brigade and stuff like that. Yeah. Corset Buster says it all. Yeah. Dirty Abner. Love it. Yeah. I know a couple really. dirty abners. You know what I mean? You can just you can just see these guys in your head just by their names. Stumpy. Yeah. Stumps! You got first round tonight, dude. Stumpy corset buster. Oh, man. He's busting those corsets up in the sky now. What did you think about this chapter? I enjoyed it. It wasn't like an action-packed one. Got to see some of Morkney. Got to learn about the Crimson Shadow some more. Got to see some magic. And it includes, like, how the magic works. We learned that at night, the magical energies are at their prime. It makes me think back to um, our boy back in the cave. Um, 
Brindy and thinking like, when was he casting those spells? Did he have enough magical energy? You know what I mean? So we're learning about how magic works in this world. Uh, we're seeing actual ingredients used. This isn't just some guy holding up his hand and making something happen. He pulled out his books. He's got to study, dude. He's like, he's looking up the spells, preparing, and he's like, okay, we're going to sprinkle some of this diamond dust on the mirror, cast a spell of location, and it worked, but we're blocked. Okay, now we're dealing with the magic stuff here. I liked it. It 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 begins to show you some of the power of Morkney and why he's a duke. It it And they mentioned a couple times that he's been around for a couple hundred years. And that, you know, he rem they remind you again he was part of the old ones or the old uh, Brotherhood of Wizards, you know. So uh, I'm excited to see how this plays out. You know, a wizard is going to be a lot more effective when he puts his mind to finding the Crimson Shadow than a couple of Praetorian guards. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I like that we got this magic and these enchantments, things that come out, because it reminds me a lot of like in Dungeons and Dragons when you need to have certain items, papyrus, uh, maybe uh, falcon claws or whatever, bird toes or whatever, and like bone chips and stuff to cast certain spells. That was something I really appreciated uh, that they included, that Bob included, and um, it, it serves to pull me more into the world liked it a lot really good writing good fantasy writing and overall just a, a fun read these past two chapters especially uh 21 world building all the way to the end of this book man which yep. is where we're headed we have i think three chapters left four chapters yep. left and then an Probably epilogue yeah and that's it it's not too late guys you can pick up your copy of the book and follow along you probably have but uh that's going to do it for this week's episode, man. Um, yeah. Where can they find your stuff, Justin? Well, there's we've got some links in the description of the video. It's um, Amazon.com is where you can find my self-published uh, writings. Uh, if you're into, like, light novels, like, you know, uh, manga, anything like that. So if you're into light novels, uh, Jeff, definitely I recommend checking out Tokyo Lightning. Really cool high school drama story with some superhero esque elements but uh if you're a big fantasy fan like i am i would recommend checking out the first book that i ever wrote i actually wrote it in conjunction with my brother it's called the trinity of heroes and it's a fantastic easy fantasy read yeah uh check them out on wattpad at jared and justin authors yes. uh, that's a, a sweet place to see their current writings and some of their old you know uh I, you know off the off topic stuff that they just have ideas and they throw it out there it's really cool so um, <laughs> thank you for joining me on this week's episode. I'm always happy to be here, Dan. Uh, these past two chapters were awesome. I'm loving the sort of bed where I actually really find myself looking forward to doing this with you, looking forward to sitting down and reading the next chapters because I've been so into this book. It's really awesome. I'm looking forward to uh, getting to the end of this. It's actually going to happen. We're going to finish a book, but I'm also dreading it, dude. Because okay. then we won't the be able to talk for a while. Hey, there's two more books in this series, bro. We're going to have to cover uh, While we're talking about uh, the podcast, where can they find the podcast? Where can we listen to it? Apple, Spotify, YouTube, BitChute, any of your favorite podcasting apps. Um, you can reach out to us. Uh, just check out our YouTube channel. We've got a lot of links on there. Uh, we've got a Reddit page now, um, some posts on there. Twitter. Yeah, check us out. We I'm, I'm posting content pretty much once a week, you know, like, and then posting little things here and there uh, that links to the chapters and stuff. But 
yeah, uh, we're growing and it's pretty exciting to see this channel coming out the way it is. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of The Sword of Bedweer by R.A. Salvatore. Thank you for listening to Random Book Club Podcast.